This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Valentine's Day on this February 14th. That's your reminder, folks. If you haven't secured a a gift for that special someone in your life, well, there's still time to get it done. But remember, you're buying when you have to. So you're going to end up taking the price that's offered for those flowers that are still for sale here on Valentine's Day. Thank you so much for making AOA a part of your day today. We're going to run through what's going on in the world of agriculture. We've got the markets down hard to start the week. We're going to check in with Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis here in just a moment for the story on what's developing there in the ag commodity markets. We're going to talk weather in segment two. John Branick of DTN Weather is going to be joining us. Last week was pretty uneventful weather-wise. Looks like things might be changing. Stay tuned. We'll get John's perspective here in just a minute. And we're going to talk to Jackie Fatka. Again, policy machinations continue to happen in Washington, D.C. Jackie's been keeping an eye on everything that's going on over there on the East Coast. She'll give us that update here before we end the show today. But first and foremost, let's talk about these markets. Darren Newsom is joining me today. And Darren, the grains just can't find a valentine today, can they? Well, they're red. So, I mean, I guess they're taking part <laughs> in, in Valentine's Day today. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this is the beauty of, of the fluid nature of, of, uh, of the headlines. You know, we were, we were rolling along overnight. We saw an initial rally on follow-through buying from Friday. And, you know, we started to quiet down a little bit uh, early Monday morning. Then we get, then we get these headlines that uh, the foreign minister of Russia uh, proposed to President Putin that they, they, they approach this with a more diplomatic uh, view rather than just militarily uh, the, the situation with Ukraine. And all of a sudden, you know, we just, saw, we just saw the grain markets get hit hard, particularly corn and, and wheat. Uh, but we also saw it in, you know, the stock markets rallied uh, globally. We saw, you know, yields uh, jump up again, uh, treasury yields. So it was, it was a wild spike following headlines. And we've, we've seen you know, similar activity to start the day. Soybeans are a different beast. And, you know, we're, dealing with some, uh, we're dealing with some harvest uh, pressure uh, from the weekend in South America. By and large, just, just some selling here to start the week. Not a lot has changed fundamentally in these markets. Well, let's talk about that soybean harvest that's underway down in South America. uh, Darren, we have been talking quite a bit about the drought and the uh, above average rainfall that have hit Brazil. What have you seen? What's coming out of the fields there in Brazil now that we're getting some harvest updates? I have no idea. And it doesn't matter because the market's telling us it's not going to be enough. You know, we've been watching that May-July spread sit in and move into an inverse and, and, and hold that inverse for months now. The commercial side has said it doesn't matter what, what Brazil produces. It's not going to be enough to loosen this tight global supply and demand situation, and that's all I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, it could, be, it could be 130 million metric tons. It could be 150 or 110. You know, I'll let, I'll let others fight over that. I don't care. The bottom line is it's not going to be enough. Well, it's not going to be enough at the current price level, Darren. As you watch price rationing, as these as these bean prices in particular continue to rally, where do you see resistance coming into play? I mean, obviously, sixteen dollars looks like that's the mark. Would you agree? Uh, I, I don't know that there. I don't know if there actually is. Uh, that, that's a great point because every market has its economic tipping point. You know, it, it, it's easy to point to those big round numbers, you know, $6 in corn or $16 in soybean. We, it'll be interesting to see as we move through this harvest time frame for South America. You know, we get some pressure in the market. Then what? Then where do we go? Does $16 still act as a ceiling? Or if the world's largest buyer still needs to get supplies locked in, does $16 even matter? You know, right now it seems to, but we've still got strong non-commercial buying. We saw that in the most recent CFTC commitments to traders reports. So, I mean, they're, they're not backing away at this level. They just ran out of buy orders here short term. Darren, here on the corn and wheat side, obviously you touched on the headline risk that's moving prices in those markets. We've got Ukraine, we've got Russia, et cetera, et cetera. As 
producers are looking to manage the risk on their operation, what's your advice for them in seeing through the noise, listening through the noise for the signal here of prices? How, how do you do that in the corn and wheat market, given the volatility? Well, number one, you can't make a bad sale up here. I mean, any, any sale you make, old crop or new crop, is going to be good. If, even if it goes higher, you just sell it at a better sale next time. Uh, but the big picture is we have to, and, and you know me, Mike, you have to watch basis. You have to watch spreads. We have seen some weakness in the corn basis. That means we've got some cash bushels moving into the system, but the spreads are still long-term bullish. This tells us the commercial side still long-term bullish on this, on this corn market. They're still concerned about, you know, supplies and demand, you know, the overall, the overall equation. Wheat, not quite as much. The Chicago market's being heavily driven uh, by, the, uh, by the situation in Ukraine. Uh, you know, combined Russia and Ukraine account for 30% of global exports. And so that puts the focus on the old crop Chicago market. It's not that there's all this you know, pent-up demand for U.S. Uh, software and winter wheat. There's not, but that's the global futures market. The most important thing to me is Kansas City new crop because of the weather situation across the southern plains. I think that's where we really need to start turning our attention. That's the market that really could start to jump here as we move into spring. All right. Keep an eye on that KC contract. Darren, let's look at the livestock markets. We've got cattle cash trade over 140 this past week. Do you think some continued strength is going to exist in live cattle? You know, it, it's possible. I to me, I've been bearish the cattle market, fundamentally bearish the cattle market for quite some time. These spreads continue to bother me. So the fact that we were able to push uh, the cash market back above 140, 141, yeah, that seems a little bit heavy, seems a little bit high right now. We're seeing the, the cutout markets come down, uh, continuing to lose ground. This is an economic indicator to me uh, that the economy could be starting to slow. And, and if so, that could be troublesome for the cattle market as a whole, particularly, again, given we have large supplies of cattle out there. And again, we could see that in the April, June, June, August, however far out you want to go spread. So uh, it's nice if you need to make some sales, 140, 141 is a nice place to do it. Certainly, you can also look out at the futures markets. But I'd be careful with this market. Again, it still looks fundamentally bearish to me. Fundamentally bearish on cattle. Darren, how about that hog market? Has that got a little more bullish yeah. picture? I think so. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of commercial buying coming into the spreads late last week. You know, the, the immediate cash market, Feb running away from April, and I know Feb's got a limited time frame here. But even in the April, June, June, August spreads, we saw some pretty good activity. So that's telling me that there's some good support underneath this market for hogs, uh, that it should, and it should continue. We've, we've had a lot of non-commercial buying, fund buying coming into the market. That tends to follow bullish fundamentals. So, you know, as long as we've got a good co commercial basis under this market, uh, it looks like uh, the fund buying should continue. Uh, fund buying should continue. This inflation aspect has all of these money managers concerned. Darren Newsom, always appreciate when you're able to take the time and share with us your insight on these markets. Well, thanks for having and me folks, on, You bet, Darren. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to be speaking with John Baranek of DTN Weather, looking at just what might be coming down from the sky here this week. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. National FFA Week is February 19th through the 26th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm National FFA President Cole Bearlocker from the state of Washington. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. 
DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, this past week, a lot of us across the country had a fairly subdued weather week. Had a few small systems come through. John Brannick of DTN talked about those last Monday when he was on the on the show. This week, as we look out, there might be a little more excitement up in the sky above our heads. John Brannick, DTN Weather, joins me today. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. Appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming ashore here in the Pacific Northwest. Looks like some excitement might be headed that way. Yeah, it's a potent little system that's going to be moving into the Pacific Northwest here today. We're already starting to see some showers in uh, in Washington and getting into Oregon with that. Uh, but the, the, the main system here is really going to move into the Southwest today, tomorrow. But then uh, once we get into Wednesday, that's when uh, all the, the action really happens. So uh, we've actually got a clipper system that will move through Canada. That sets up a cold front moving across uh, the, the upper Midwest. And then uh, that system that's down in the, the southwest will emerge from the Rockies out into Texas and then move right along that front up uh, through the Midwest and into the northeast here later this week. It's going to kind of be reminiscent of, of that system that occurred about two weeks ago, um, but we're not going to see the – Super heavy snowfall we saw with that one. I mean, we were talking about over a foot of snow here in portions of, of the Midwest. We're not looking at that. But uh, we're still looking at uh, some pretty heavy rainfall here. Uh, eastern Oklahoma and Texas, all the way up into the northeast, and all points south and east of that as well. Look like we're in line for about one to two inches worth of rainfall. Could see some severe weather out of it towards the Gulf Coast. Uh, there's a potential for that, uh, both on Wednesday and Thursday. And a little bit of mixed precipitation on the northern side of it. So basically from southern Kansas all the way through uh, the southern half of the Midwest and the Great Lakes and and northern portions of the northeast, we're looking at about about six inches or so of snowfall, I think, on the max. Uh, That's what it's looking like right now. And we'll get some freezing rain right in between the rain and the snow. So kind of along and just north of the Ohio River looks like the best chances for that. 
Wow, that does sound like some excitement coming. You mentioned eastern Oklahoma, eastern Texas, going to see some rainfall. As we look a little farther west there in the southern plains, John, that drought has continued in intensity. Is there any possibility with this system that we could see some snowfall or some, some rain there in the southern plains? Yeah, you know, last week I was really kind of hopeful that everything was going to line up perfectly and we could get this system to wrap up and bring in some good moisture back that, that far west. Uh, but this week, uh, model trends have just not been there. So it's going to be a little bit more of a flatter system instead of winding everything back up uh, across the plains and back towards the Rockies. It'll kind of move it kind of northward into the front and spread it northeast. So we'll get a little bit of precipitation there out in the southwestern plains. Uh, the hard red winter wheat areas uh, are looking at a little bit of snowfall. Um, if you're in the kind of panhandle region uh, into southern Kansas is where we're going to see the, the best chance for some something appreciable, but it's on the order of just a few inches of snowfall and less than a half inch of liquid equivalent. So it's not really going to have a whole lot of impact on the drought down there, unfortunately, not this system at least. All right, John, as we see these clipper systems come through, oftentimes the northern plains get blasted by that Arctic Canadian air. Are you anticipating a big old drop in temps as well as the system moves through? Not a big one. This one's not as connected to Arctic air as uh, some of the previous ones have been. It's still going to get cold and below normal here across the Dakotas, Minnesota, upper Midwest, especially when it comes to Thursday morning. Uh, it looks like the, the dome of high pressure is going to be right over top of kind of the Red River Valley there uh, in between the Dakotas and Minnesota. Uh, and that's going to lead to clear skies. Uh, calm winds, and that's just a recipe for having temperatures just tank in the morning hours. So that area there might get uh, pretty cold there on Thursday morning. But for the most part here, um, it's not going to be too bad, and it's fairly transitory too. So it's just going to last a, a day or two. All right. All right. So, John, again, just to emphasize, you see this really ramping up on Wednesday. Will it start Wednesday during the day, or is it a Wednesday night into Thursday type phenomenon for this system? Yeah, the, the, the heaviest rain really starts going um, Wednesday, probably evening into to closer to midnight kind of time frame, right along that front. That's going to be from Oklahoma, kind of northeast there uh, into kind of the Toronto area. So if you can try to imagine that line, it goes right through the heart of, of, uh, of Missouri, Illinois, northern Indiana, and southern Michigan. Uh, that starts there Wednesday evening. And then it, it kind of drifts its way kind of southward for the rest of into Thursday and everything. And then we'll change from rain over to, you know, freezing rain, sleet and snow uh, as, it, as it pulls out there on Thursday. All right, John, you mentioned that risk of severe weather there over the southeastern quadrant of the United States. Of course, they've been bashed this year by tornadoes. They've had heavy rains. They've had flooding events. Is there the, the possibility that this system could spin up more tornadoes yet again? It could. It's not as, uh, you, know, if, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, if we had everything lining up perfectly and it would wrap the, the precipitation back to the, to the Rockies there, it would have been a much bigger, um, severe risk uh, going across the, the southern, uh, southeastern area of the U.S. This, this is a little bit more what we call positively tilted uh, system. So it, it doesn't wind up as much. It's a little bit more, um, it's a little flatter. And uh, when they when systems do that, they're not as strong overall. Uh, we're still going to see some pretty good uh, thunderstorms down there. It's just not going to be the wide-ranging, uh, incredibly severe event it could have been. Uh, it's more likely to be kind of spotty areas of, of severe weather. John, you said something that I, I don't think I've ever heard before. You mentioned that this storm system is a little flatter. It doesn't wrap around near as much as the other system. What, what does that mean in the weather context? Can you tell us what it is you're looking yeah. for, or what we could watch for on the radar to uh, define that? Yeah, you actually you have to look at the upper levels to, to see that. And uh, what you see um, in the upper levels is, is uh, a negatively, there's two types of, of systems. It could be a negatively tilted system or a positively tilted system. Positively tilted system kind of, um, if you were to look at uh, an upper level chart, you would see the strongest um, piece of energy on the north side of it, of the system, of the trough. On a, a negatively tilted one, you'd see it at the base of the trough. So this one is going to be, Kind of more, you know, more of the energy is going to be up uh, across the Midwest and into the Northeast, and that's just going to pull things along. 
which makes it flatter. If it was at the base of the trough, kind of over the southern plains, you'd really see that be the, the big low pressure system wrapping up and uh, pulling its way northeast then. So, um, Fascinating. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of just... hard to describe over the, over the radio, but uh, yeah, uh, it's those two different ways of, of looking at things can, can really make a huge impact on, on how systems behave. All right. Well, John, we will keep an eye on the sky Wednesday and Thursday here in the United States. Let's go down to South America. As you look out in this week ahead, what does the forecast call for there across the harvest regions of Brazil? Man, uh, well, uh, yeah, in Brazil, it's going to be a little bit different than Argentina, especially if you look at central and northern Brazil, it's daily scattered showers. Uh, it's kind of a broken record really across the entire continent for the whole week. Uh, scattered showers just day in, day out across the, the, the heart of, of soybean and safrina corn country there uh, in Brazil, in, in the central region at least. And, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for those uh, folks out there to harvest their soybeans and plant the safrina corn they're trying to do right now. Um, but really, they got a really good head start of it um, earlier in the season, really earlier uh, in the month when we had a little bit of a drier stretch going through there. And, uh, you know, in the state of Mato Grosso, which uh, accounts for about 40% of all corn and soybean production in the country of Brazil, is already well ahead of schedule in terms of harvest and planting. So uh, it's a little bit more difficult, uh, you know, with, with roads getting flooded, uh, transporting that grain out to the ports. Um, but uh, for, for the most part, they're kind of ahead of schedule on, on things there. It's a little bit of a different story as you head farther south, southern Brazil and into Argentina. It's a lot drier. It has been all season. That's the typical La Nina pattern we see, and it's definitely played out this year. Um, and that looks to continue for, for at least probably the end of the month. We may see that towards the, towards the end of the month and, and uh, early March where we might get a, a little bit of a wetter pattern. You know, we kind of had one of those in mid-January. Looks like we might have another one of those here late February, early March. But on both sides of that, it's dry until then, it's dry afterwards, so it may or may not actually have a huge impact. But even during these drier stretches, it's not going to be completely dry. We'll still see some spotty showers at times. It's just not going to be overly helpful. Uh, you know, there's going to be a spot here or there that sees some better rainfall, maybe an inch, maybe a little bit more. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's, it's bone dry uh, for most areas, and it's not going to be a good, not a good thing for developing not a good thing for the development of the crop, but potentially a good thing for soybean growers here in the U.S. as that market responds. John Baranek of DTN Weather, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, everyone. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Jackie Fatka, policy editor with Farm Progress, will be on to talk about the things that are happening in Washington, D.C. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the grain markets and livestock, we are mostly lower across the board. Hogs are the only market that is trading higher. Fear of war with Ukraine and Russia, the primary focus of traders Friday afternoon and continues here this morning. Wheat markets staged a sharp rally just prior to Friday's market close, but have since backed away here along with soybeans. We have turned everything around after starting higher in the overnight trade Sunday night. We're going to be watching things very, very closely here as we move forward. Also watching uh, not only the geopolitical risks, but inflation. 
is a big topic on Wall Street here this morning once again. Now, also, we're watching the crop production problems in South America with more potential risk ahead. Nearly two-thirds of the soybeans are harvested in Mato Grosso, where yields are good with just over 20% harvested in Mato Grosso do Sul and in Paraná and 1% in Rio Grande do Sul, where the drought stress was the greatest. Argentine crops still in the early pod set and pod fill stages of development, so there is a great chance still that we could see some of these production losses come to fruition once the combines start to roll in those drought-stricken areas. Overall, markets are trading lower here as we work through the morning. Right now, March corn down three and a half, six forty-seven and a half. March soybeans down eighteen and a quarter, fifteen sixty-four three quarters. March bean meal down six seventy a ton, four forty-nine ninety. March bean oil down fifty-three point sixty-five nineteen. March Chicago wheat seven lower, seven ninety and three quarters. March Kansas City wheat down four eight twenty and a quarter. March spring wheat down three and three quarters, nine fifty seven and three quarters. Lean hogs April up forty two one hundred two sixty five. March feeder cattle down seven one sixty six fifteen. February live cattle down seven one forty one eighty. Crude oil up thirty two cents at ninety three forty two. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to phoenix our job is to unlock those jobs and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local goodwill here's how we do it when you donate to goodwill we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community so just by teaming up with goodwill you help create jobs and isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band goodwill donate stuff create jobs find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org a message from goodwill and the ad council This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, looking forward to talking about what all is happening in the world of agriculture and a big part of what happens in agriculture is what starts in Washington, D.C. There's been a discussion over the past several weeks about funding the government. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, joins me today. Jackie, do we have the government funded here in 2022? Oh, all right. Hold on, folks. Give us just a second. We are going to get reconnected here with uh, with Jackie Fatka. She is joining us here. And we will be talking about what is happening here in the world of policy uh, in just a second. Uh, Let's see. We are going to be talking, folks. Bear with us here. We are going to be talking really about this government funding bill. And one of the things that we are working with right now is... um, All right. Hold on one second here. We are going to get Jackie reconnected. Bear with us. All right. Jackie, do we have you on the line with us now? All right. Well, we are still working. We are going to work to get Jackie connected, folks. Stick with us here, and uh, we'll be talking to Jackie in just a second. We are going to give her a call directly, and uh, we will get her on the line. We are also going to be talking about what is happening when we look out at WOTUS. We have been dealing with that a lot, and Jackie has an update for us. Bear with me just a second here. All right. Let's Let's get her connected here. All right, we are going to have our producers working on getting that connected in just a second. In the meantime, we're going to talk a little bit about what is happening more broadly. Well, we get Jackie connected. We're going to talk about what is happening here with the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report. This was published earlier this week. In fact, it came out on the 12th. And this is a good measure of how U.S. consumers are feeling about the overall economy. Basically, 50 
is the, uh, are they feeling positive or negative? That is break even. And a reading over 50 tells us they're optimistic about what's happening broadly in the economy. Under 50 tells us they are concerned about the economy shrinking. Well, the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index dropped to 61.7. In January, it was at 67.2. So we were down almost six points here in one month. And just to put this in perspective, a year ago, consumer sentiment was at 76.8. So as a whole, U.S. consumers are feeling about 15 percentage points less optimistic about the health of the economy. This is going to have big impacts on, on what how U.S. consumers spend their money. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot in the future about rising food prices, but we do have Jackie Fatka back with us. Jackie, let's talk about government funding. Did they get a deal secured? So, yes, uh, we always love technical difficulties on Monday morning. So, uh, great talking with you. Um, yes, uh, we did get a deal out of uh, Congress last week. Originally, the, the last continuing resolution was supposed to expire on February 18th. And so uh, Congress did what it does best, which is kick the can down a little bit further. And so they've extended that until March 11th. Uh, but it does, it does set up uh, at least the fact that the government's not going to shut down. They're still working on those overall spending packages for all the different um, segments, uh, including the ag and the ag sector. And so they are waiting a couple more weeks to finalize some of those details and i would expect that this is going to be a continuing resolution for the rest of the fiscal year we're already almost halfway through the fiscal year um, and then this will also kind of coincide with what we we might hear from the president's budget and the the normal kind of update on what the president would would propose for the next year so we're going to see some more numbers that from the president that aren't going to mean a lot uh, because obviously Congress is the one who controls the purse uh, strings when it comes to actual appropriations. Okay. All right. So we'll get that out. Continuing resolution. So this deal to fund us through March, Jackie, then in March, you'd expect to see another one month or six week extension and just, just kind of limp through until the end of the fiscal year. That's your expectation? No, I think actually by March 11th, I think they'll do something that gets us through the end of the the end of the fiscal year. I think they'll stop doing these kind of little short term ones. I think they'll probably do a, a six month one or whatever is needed to get through the rest the rest of the fiscal year. Um, because as we head into you know further into this calendar year, remember our fiscal year runs from October 1st and through September, but we're already halfway through that. So. As we get into the summer, there's going to be more legislative uh, recesses because folks are back home uh, campaigning and back in their home districts, so less time actually in uh, on Capitol Hill working on this. So I would anticipate we're going to finally just get them to, to get, get it across the finish line, but it probably will not be a standalone. It will be an omnibus. It will be several spending bills lumped together in one, and, and that's kind of become the norm of how they do some of these appropriations in recent years. All right. So another big fight over an omnibus bill might be coming. Yes. All right. Something to, uh, well, maybe not necessarily look forward to. But Jackie, we've <laughs> also got some excitement happening this week. National Association of States, State Departments of Agriculture are having their annual meeting, and they're going to get to hear from some leading figures in this administration. Can you fill us in? Yeah, so actually here, not too long from now, uh, EPA Administrator Regan will be speaking. And, and for those of you who don't know who NASDA is, this is really all of your state uh, state departments of agriculture, those folks who are, you know, your ag secretaries at the state level, those folks who are working you know, more local, localized uh, with, with farmers and producers and, and those who are really involved on the state level of planning the policy. And so today, uh, EPA Administrator Regan is speaking. Tomorrow, uh, USTR Ambassador Tai is speaking. On Wednesday, Secretary Vilsack is, is also presenting, as well as Senate Agriculture Committee Chairwoman uh, Debbie Stabenow, as well as John Bozeman, the ranking member. Uh, so they're going to be given an update on where some key issues. And this is also an opportunity where a lot of these members state ag departments are able to ask questions on on some key issues that that are impacting them. So, you know, key 
key administration officials here and, and being able to to talk with them and, and also NASA is developing their policy on how they want to lobby going forward, what are some of their priorities as an organization. And this is an interesting group because it's, it's, it's bipartisan. I mean, there are um, folks from different sides of the aisle who all work together to to advocate on behalf of their, their states and making sure that their their policy is, is heard is, is an important part of our legislative process as well. Absolutely. Jackie, with Michael Regan, Catherine Ty, Tom Vilsack, and the other folks that are going to be making these presentations at a NASDA meeting, do they oftentimes come with new policies and proposals, or is this more strictly a, a wrap-up of what they're working on in Washington, D.C.? You know, last year, um, and this is kind of a uniqueness of the virtual world, right? Uh, last year, there was, uh, you know, Secretary Vilsack presented uh, Administrator Regan, and sometimes it just gives the these folks to to ask directly to these individuals. So they might not be announcing a, a new a new rule or something, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of folks who are asking EPA Administrator Regan to to delay their their work on WOTUS until we hear what the Supreme Court decides to do on it. Um, you know, that's something that NASDA has asked for in um, a lot of times some of these top issues they will they will directly ask and, and kind of put them on the seat, right? I mean obviously they um they're all a lot of these are elected officials themselves. Some state ag uh, secretaries are actually elected officials and and they want to make sure that they are uh, you know, making their voice heard. And so this is kind of a unique opportunity by the fact that they do get to talk directly to some of these top of officials. And so, you know, EPA, like I said, I wouldn't, I would imagine that they're going to hear about WOTUS. They're probably going to hear about some of the pesticide registration. And sometimes they're just wanting some clarity directly from the person who is in charge. And, and you have a, an interesting conversation that's, that's allowed through some of these policy uh, meetings and being able to have these folks uh, present and they usually give some comments and then uh, open it up for questions and so i would imagine that that would be the same format this year as well all right we'll keep an eye on that jackie fda has been in the news a lot over the past two years i understand the senate could be voting on the fda administrator what's the story there yeah so the uh a nominee for the fda uh, the the Top, top person at FDA is actually a, a former Obama official, Robert Califf, who was previously confirmed, um, but has actually found some uh, just, there's some Democrats who are not all on board with, with his nomination. And so there's been some kind of backroom discussions on whether he would have enough votes to actually get across the finish line in the Senate. And uh, it, it appears that he probably does uh, have the votes now because they've put it on the docket. So usually they don't they don't bring it up unless they know they've got the votes on these nominations because they wouldn't want them to go south. Um, and so this is a this is an important one. Um, obviously, before Trump left, uh, the FDA and USDA had thought they had created a, a memorandum of understanding on how to handle. The regulation of animal biotechnology between FDA and USDA. And so I know Secretary Vilsack has said that that is one of his important priorities when they come on with the new FDA. All right. Well, we'll see if that vote makes it across the finish line. Jackie Fatka, policy editor with Farm Progress. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Have a good one. And folks, when we return, we'll talk about the ban on avocados from Mexico. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA. I'm sure a lot of folks tuning in right now were watching the Super Bowl yesterday. Los Angeles Rams, still getting used to saying that. I'm used to saying St. Louis Rams, beat the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday. But the day before, it was announced by U.S. Uh, uh, food Inspection Service workers that Mexican avocados were being banned from import into the United States. Now, they announced this on Saturday, again, the day before the Super Bowl. The same day, the Mexican avocado market unveiled their Super Bowl ads. They've been working to try to associate guacamole with Super Bowl, make that a tradition. And uh, the U.S. government said they are suspending all imports of Mexican avocados until, quote, further notice. Now, a lot of times when we get these export bans, or I should say import bans from U.S. officials, it's because of some problem with the product being imported. Oftentimes, or in fact, I should say, in the case of avocados, the United States has inspectors at avocado plants in Mexico because they want to ensure that none of the weevils that avocados can carry are going to make their way into U.S. avocado supplies. So ordinarily, when we see the U.S. government shut off imports from a place, it's because they have found something in that food product that makes it unsafe for import into the United States. This Mexican avocado deal is a little different. The U.S. has suspended imports of, of avocados, not because of some problem with avocados, but because the American inspector was threatened. We assume, and the USDA hasn't reported it, but this has happened before, these threats typically come from Mexican drug gangs. And I wanted to bring this up because when we talk about input costs going up around the world, a lot of growers here in the United States have been coping with higher input costs for fertilizer for crop protection. Well, there was a note in this update about Mexican avocados that reminds me of a very different input cost that Mexican growers have to put up with, and that's the cost of protection. It's reported that these Mexican drug gangs target avocado growers in Mexico, and they threaten kidnapping, they threaten their, the family of farmers with kidnapping or death unless they pay protection money. And in some cases, that can amount to thousands of dollars per acre an additional cost for Mexican avocado growers. So that's the update there for Mexico. If you are a fan of avocados, do anticipate here in the short term, you might see a bit of a price drop, price jump rather at the grocery store, but this has happened before. This is not new. The uh, U.S. Inspection Service said in 2019, after one of their inspectors was threatened, that if there is any threat to an inspector's life, they will immediately suspend uh, the program of avocado imports. So we'll continue to track this story. I've reached out to several people, hopefully to get a little more context. Haven't heard back yet, uh, quite yet, but we'll continue to keep you updated. One of the other things I mentioned, avocado prices might be moving higher. Well, it might be hard to tell because the price of everything is moving higher. Our friends over at uh, Farm Policy News with the University of Illinois recently published a story. They've been watching this food price move. And of course, we've been talking about inflation as a whole, up over 7%, the most since 1982, highest in 40 years. Well, food price inflation is even faster than that. Um, it was reported in the Washington Post that food is rising at a pace of 7.5% a year. Again, it's that fastest pace in 40 years. And and uh, they have been analyzing this. They have found that we are seeing a jump in food prices, both at the grocery store and at uh, food away from home. So what we've seen is grocery store prices have increased 7.4%, largely on the back of meat and eggs. Continue to see those foodstuffs climbing at double digit price hike rates. And then in the restaurants, particularly in fast foods, we've seen an 8% jump in fast food prices. And again, this is largely being driven by meat, at least is, is what the industry is reporting on the fast food side. Just to kind of give some updates here on how prices are moving. So cereals and bakery products at the retail level, they're up just shy of 7%. Meats, poultry, fish, and eggs up 15%, excuse me, 13% year over year. Dairy and related products up just shy of 4% year over year. Fruits and vegetables, 6% increase in price. Non-alcoholic beverages 
up 5%. I don't have a chart showing what alcoholic beverages have increased in price, but given the pandemic demand for booze, I've got to assume they're also seeing a price jump. And then other food at home, sort of your mixed category, taking a look at uh, really all the snacks and other stuff we buy, those are up almost 8% year over year. So this food inflation continues to be a concern and it's being noted by American consumers. I spoke here before we spoke with Jackie Fatka in segment three about the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index dropping uh, five points from its January reading. A large part of that decline was because consumers are seeing higher prices at the grocery store. They're not seeing wages rise as fast to cover these inflationary jumps, and that is weakening their personal financial prospects, making them a little more scared about the year ahead. We've also got some news on the policy front that came out of Louisiana at the tail end of last week. A federal judge down there, uh, Judge James Kane, the U.S. District Court of the Western District of Louisiana, had a decision on President Biden's use of calculations designed to measure the impact of climate change. Uh, these have been around for a while. The Trump administration basically changed them. Biden changed them again, and the court took issue with Biden's change. At the core of the issue, the government has said that there is a social cost of greenhouse gases emitted into the world. The Trump administration said the cost of those greenhouse gases was about $10 or less per ton. The Biden administration said the cost is about $50 per ton. They use these per ton calculations to decide just how much of uh, greenhouse gases being emitted should penalize a potential project. So now that the courts have rolled that back to $50 a ton, we are going to see the greenhouse gas impact, as calculated by Uncle Sam, drop fairly substantially. It's a huge drop in greenhouse gas uh, social impact, and it should help make projects a little more uh, able to get to the finish line in Washington, D.C. We'll continue tracking all of the stories that matter to agriculture. Hopefully, you'll continue tuning in to AOA every day, or every day rather, right here on your favorite station. Thanks so much for listening to AOA, and we'll be back tomorrow talking right to repair with Todd Neely from DTN. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, if you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.